Are you ready to be transported back to 1800s high society London? Because season three of Bridgerton is now playing only on Netflix. This season follows the story of the Tons resident wallflower, Penelope Featherington, as she undergoes a journey of self-discovery and empowerment where we see her truly blossom. Penn's emotional transformation takes centre stage as her friendship with the charming Colin Bridgerton evolves into something more. For those not yet acquainted, Colin, the charming younger brother of the Bridgerton family, is about to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm, This is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realise there might be something more between them, watch Bridgerton Season 3, now playing only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined as always by Melbourne journalist Michelle Andrews and the birthday girl Zara McDonald. I love this because obviously we're not recording on Monday morning at 5am <laughs> live to you. It is the day before, but yes, happy happy early birthday to me. Happy birthday. How does it feel, 26? The big 2-6, it feels like the most anticlimactic flat birthday in the history of all my birthdays, Aww. but I think I needed this. My mum called me... The you other needed an anticlimactic birthday. Yeah, my mum said it was good for me because she we were talking about the potential if Melbourne kind of got stricter with restrictions or mm. what it was going to be like. My I was like, I can't think of a worse person to have a birthday with these kinds of conditions around you, which I'm was so not sorry. the biggest compliment I've ever received. It's very different to last birthday when we both got very, very drunk at a couple of Melbourne bars and clubs. Anyway. And, and very dressed up, like <laughs> an extra level of dressed up. Anyway, let's get on to today's show. My favourite little birthday girl, my new 26-year-old. Everything, heads up, including this podcast, is cake, Zara McDonald. What the fuck is going on with the everything is cake trend taking over Twitter? Plus, we need to talk about the tragic and sudden death of Naya Rivera. And of course, the hashtag Free Britney movement has hit fever pitch. So we ask why. But first, Zara, how was your week? We had a good week. <laughs> so a traumatizing week. Look, not maybe traumatizing on the scale of all trauma, but a particularly <laughs> dramatic week, I will say that. For those who follow us on Instagram at Shameless Podcast, it didn't take me long to do a little plug there. You would have seen that last week, I would say Mish and I did our biggest interview ever, and that is with the former Prime Minister and the first female Australian Prime Minister, Julia Gillard. Julia Gillard is coming on Shameless. The episode is dropping on Thursday and we are fucking excited, but we are still in recovery mode Zara because the interview of course being 2020 did not exactly go to plan it did not so for those who have been listening to our by the way if Julia is listening to this she'll be like what do you mean it didn't go to plan if Julia is listening to this Julia was an absolute delight Julia doesn't listen to this (laughs) podcast anyway what I was going to say was we had a few tech issues and we've had tech issues through this entire period of COVID-19 because we've been recording a lot remotely and been relying on very dodgy internet signals and occasionally dodgy software and I I remember saying to Mish and everyone who I spoke to in the days leading up to this interview that I was a bit concerned about how the tech was going to go because it's really given us some troubles in the last few weeks. And then everyone said, but of course that's not going to happen for Julia. And in the back of my mind, the more I said it out loud, the more I was like, there's no way that the biggest interview I've ever done is going to be plagued with issues. Like that just doesn't happen. And by the way, if you're planning on listening on Thursday, which I hope you all are because I will be listening back to it. It was the (laughs) highlight of my entire life so far. Let me tell you, every Everything's fine now. You would never know that there was a tech issue to be found. Everything was absolutely easy breezy at the end of this kerfuffle. In the middle of this kerfuffle, not only did we deal with three different dropouts while we were recording, so like recording with Julia via all of our laptops and all of our different rooms, and then all of a sudden connection just cut out entirely and we had to restart the recording again. That happened three times. On top of that, when we exited the recording, one file was missing. One file that happened to be Julia Gillard's file (laughs) of the recording. So we could have had, I think it was about 10 minutes of Julia speaking that just didn't exist anymore. 
And I always wonder when things like this happen. I mean, I don't want to get into kind of like this existential rabbit hole, but like where does shit go? Like where (laughs) does that go? Because it should have been where we needed it to be and where we wanted it to be, but it just disappeared into the abyss of the internet and we realised that we had lost. The first time I think we've ever lost audio from any interview we've ever done. The first time. We are such perfectionists that we do whatever we can to make sure that we have the files, they're in multiple places ASAP, that no mistakes can happen. And yet Julia's entire intro, so what she's reading, watching and listening to at the moment, how she's doing, what her childhood was like, all disappeared. And I did not eat until 8pm that night because I was such an anxious wreck because I couldn't, you know what it was? It was guilt. Guilt that we were promising the listeners an episode with Julia Gillard and that episode would be incomplete. Yeah, that was a huge part of it for me. I have to say, just breaking the fourth wall here, what I did for that entire interview, because the technology was so bad, is I sat with my arms. As you're listening on Thursday, imagine me sitting there for the entire time, the entirety of the 45, 50 minutes with my arms crossed and my fingers crossed as well because I thought if I cross my fingers... (laughs) Nothing can go wrong. I am completely woo-woo. Anyway, just to cut a very long story short, Michelle spent hours of her middle of the night talking to software developers in in where? Silicon Valley. The men of Silicon Valley contacted us at midnight and I sprung out of bed. My phone buzzed. It lit up our very dark pitch black bedroom. Not our bedroom, Zara. No, not ours. Mitch's bedroom. And I sprung out of bed, ran out to get my laptop and was like typing away furiously. Mitch and I were still awake at 2am. Apologies to Mitchell Rees because I was just buzzing with excitement once it was found. I just want to say the fucking audacity of 2020. As if 2020 hasn't dealt us a shit enough deck of cards. It now tried to screw up our interview with Julia Gillard. I'm not having it. But it... Well, of course it didn't. Of course you're not having it because we fixed it. But it tried. It tried to do everything it could until we, like, we wrote a very terse email, by the way, Um, to the guys in Silicon Valley. I used the the guys in Silicon Valley. (laughs) What about the women in Silicon Valley? They all had male names, the ones who responded. The ones, yes, fair. I used the term bitterly disappointed and told them it was the interview of our careers and that they had to get it back to us. And they did. They did. Well done to them. So that is the story of how our Thursday episode is going to come to be. That will be live at 5am on Thursday morning. Beyond that, Mish, do you have any recommendations this week? I have a really basic recommendation, but it's one that's keeping me sane right now. I hate being in lockdown. I know that it's for the greater good for all of Melbourne, but being in lockdown is terrible for my mental health, terrible for my anxiety. I'm a true extrovert who gets energy from other people. So the one way I'm doing that at the moment is actually going to the dog park. Yeah, taking my dog for a walk is brilliant, but being able to go to a dog park and see my puppy roll around and play and have the best time with all these other dogs and be able to chat to people from like 10 feet away who are there with their dogs is just the highlight of my day right now. It's the highlight of Mitch's day and it's the best way to switch off so if you're near a dog park even if you don't have a dog just go for a walk there have a look at all the dogs playing together it's something that is pure and wholesome and sunshiny in a pretty gloomy time Nice. What about you? What's your recommendation? For those not so dog inclined, um, (laughs) I have a couple of recommendations. I'm actually the opposite of Michelle because you told me earlier this week that you're really struggling to consume stuff. Like when you're out of routine, you don't really listen to podcasts, Mm. you don't watch things, you don't read things. I have been consuming things at a a crazy exponential rate. Like I have been listening to podcasts in all my downtime and watching stuff in all my downtime. So two things I want to recommend today are both watches – Another round of applause for me because I never recommend TV shows. The first one is The Clinton Affair on SBS On Demand. It is a documentary series about, obviously, that Clinton affair with Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton. I must watch this. I love affair content. It is affair content, political content. It's really juicy, though, because Monica Lewinsky is interviewed through the entire thing. And I have to say, it does not paint, naturally, Bill Clinton in the most positive light. But being 26 26 (laughs) now, I don't think I've ever had a really good grasp on the history of the Clinton why they've been plagued in so much controversy in the US and in particular how many allegations, different kinds of allegations have been levelled at Bill Clinton in depth. Mm. So it's a pretty sobering watch too because you kind of start to think if this stuff was happening in 2020, would the world have reacted a little bit differently? But it is so, so good. I'm four episodes in and I couldn't recommend it more. The other thing I watched this week was last Monday's episode of Four Corners hosted by Stan Grant. It was his report called I Can't Breathe. Stan covered the Black Lives Matter movement over in the US and in Australia. 
it was, again, very sobering. And Stan Grant said something towards the end of his report where he said, Four Corners has existed for longer than I have existed on this earth and I'm the first Indigenous person to ever report on this program. Wow. Yeah. So it's it's really, really, really brilliant reporting. I, like I said, it's, it's not a lovely watch as it shouldn't be. Like mm. it absolutely shouldn't be, but it should be essential viewing for everybody. So I recommend that too. That will just be sitting on ABC iView. Two banger recommendations, if I may say so myself. Thank you so much. You never say that about my recommendations, <laughs> ever. Let's get into today's mailbag. This is a new thing we are introducing to Shameless. Some of you may have heard before our break, we would play some of your hotline messages to the show and then get into the quick and dirty. We want to actually play them now at the top of the episode, hear what you thought of last week, and then move on into this week, of course. The first one, Zara, listener Novi. By the way, we received tons of voicemails <laughs> last week. Almost all of them were about The Rock. This is Novi. She was very, very upset with what we said about The Rock. Hey, Mitch and Sarah, it's Novi. The listener who has a framed painting of Dwayne The Rock Johnson riding a steak and egg sandwich in her kitchen. I don't remember exactly how it started, but I've always liked The Rock. He's just a charming, hardworking, unproblematic guy and so much fun to follow on Instagram. My boyfriend also happens to be a huge fan. When we met on Bumble a few years ago, uh, one of the things in his bio said, The Rock is the most perfect human inside and out. So I obviously had to swipe right and talked about that in my opening line. So thanks to The Rock, we've been together for almost four years now. So that painting is one of my presents to him for our first Christmas together. And there you go, that's the story. And as The Rock would say, you're welcome. You're welcome. I I didn't know that's what The Rock would say. So I was right. I was right in saying that I'm pretty sure people love The Rock and I'm pretty sure he's unproblematic. And for the first time, no one came back and said, you're wrong. These are all the problems he's had. Everyone came back and said, he's the best. Our listeners love The Rock. I had no idea. I knew he had a very specific legion of supporters in like the WWE world. I had no idea so many women especially shameless audience women, are obsessed with The Rock. Multiple listeners of our Zara have framed photos of him in their houses. Do you think he's hot? Um, well, this is funny. We put up a poll on our Instagram stories during the week. This is saved as a highlight, by the way, so you can go have a look, of this epic photo of The Rock in a turtleneck sweater with a chain and then I compared it to Connell from Normal People's Chain and said whose chain was better 50-50 split. Complete split. More than 10,000 votes, complete split. What a divide. I think you're either a Rock or a Connell, but what <laughs> if you're both? I think I voted for Connell's chain in that, but I do think The Rock is pretty hot. He's, <laughs> he, tell you what it is for me. He's, he's chiselled. He's very chiselled, but it's kind of intimidating. Like he's so chiselled, like very solidly built. Do you want to hear our next voicemail? Let's do it. Zara, this is a special voicemail. You're not allowed to get angry at me when I play it to Oh, this will be good. Zari Raging Hottie, it's Tommy Little here. I just wanted to wish you a happy birthday. Hope you're having an absolute ripper. Uh, goon before midday. That's always what you can do on your birthday. So get stuck in. I hope this message gets to you. I've tried to send you a lot over the years, but Michelle never seems to pass them on. I don't know why, but maybe bring it up with her. Anyway, much love. Have a great one. Does my boyfriend know about this? <laughs> no, I'm actually going to have to tell him about it you... before the episode goes to air. Um, how did I do that? Look. Okay, wait, I think we need context before we move on. Quite a long time ago when I was single, I made a comment to Michelle while we were watching The Bachelor and Tommy Little was on an ad. I said, Tommy Little's hot. You, you... said Tommy Little was your hall pass. Yeah, no, he wasn't my hall pass because I didn't have a partner at the time. And you said on the podcast the next week, you completely uh, like embarrassed me to know. <laughs> I didn't ask you to do this. You said everybody should tag Zara and Tommy Little on our post. And I tell you what they did. I was mortified. I could not listen to Carrie and Tommy for six months because every time it came on the radio, it seize up and remember how embarrassed I was. How did you do that? Well, I DM'd Tommy Little from my <laughs> personal account on Instagram. Oh do you want to I can read it. Out the exchange if you like. I was quite stoked. Apparently Tommy Little loves Shameless. Yeah, I'm sure he doesn't. Well, he replied straight away. Like I thought I would reach out and never hear back. It's not like my- I'm surprised. It's not like my account on Instagram is verified or anything. Would you like to hear the correspondence? I'd love to. <clears throat> Tommy! Exclamation mark. <laughs> Michelle from Shameless here. We're a pop culture podcast for women. Long story short, my co-host Zara's B-Day is next week and our listeners know very well she had a long running crush on you. She has a boyfriend now. <laughs> Now, but I would love to make things very awkward and have, <laughs> would love for you to record a short birthday message for her that I could share on the podcast. Have a fab day. 
Oh, it must have been the last line. His response. How quickly did he respond? Uh, let me see. Took him two hours. Fuck two hours yeah. and 15 minutes. Hey, Michelle, your podcast is great. I'll absolutely <laughs> record a birthday message. Do you want audio or video? Hope you're well, mate. Tommy X. And guess what, Zara? It's a video. Oh, my God. So guess what's going up on our Instagram account tomorrow? (laughs) You need to text Ollie. I'm not texting Ollie. Confession. Also asked Jocks on Frillo, knowing that he's your more Uh, recent celebrity crush. He said yes, but didn't get back to me in time with the voicemail message. I'm impressed that these people are responding (laughs) to us. Have we made it? Does that mean we've made it? I don't, I don't want to say anything too soon. Can we get onto the show? <laughs> this has been a rollicking start, but let's actually talk about the things we are here to talk about. First and foremost, Michelle, everything is cake, including you and I. And Tommy Little. And Tommy maybe. Little. This is the weirdest social media trend I have seen in a while. If you if you haven't stumbled across it while scrolling through your feeds, it's big on TikTok and big on Twitter. That's the places I've seen it. I haven't seen it too much on Instagram. No, I haven't really seen it on Instagram at all. Yeah, so basically it's platforming all these different bakery artists two of them are called Natalie Sidesurf and Tuba Geckle and they are great at making cakes that look like anything but cakes so think hamburgers think raw chicken pickles pickles a pair of crocs they make all these different cakes and then they slice into them. You go into the video thinking, that's a very shiny cucumber. You leave it thinking, how the fuck was that a cake? I reckon the trend initially kind of broke loose. Is that a thing? I don't mind that. Broke loose. Uh, after BuzzFeed Tasty shared like a compilation of these videos and the comments underneath it was so funny. So the New York Times actually wrote about this trend. That's how viral it's going. Mm. And they quoted some of the best top comments. And the first one was, you try to call for help, but the phone is a cake. <laughs> the next person said, help arrives, but they are also cake. <laughs> now, the thing about this is it took me a good week to understand what the hell was going on. I remember scrolling through my Twitter feed earlier this week and there was this video that was retweeted like 35,000 times. And mm. I'm going to say anytime I see a video that's retweeted that many times on my Twitter feed. You watch it. I'm going to watch it. Yeah. And it was pancakes and it was just pancakes being cut in the middle. And someone said, it's actually a pancake. So I watched this <laughs> knife being sliced through the pancake and I'm waiting for something to jump on the screen or for the punchline to happen. And the punchline never happened. And I kept scrolling thinking, what the fuck have I missed? <laughs> and I said to you soon after, I feel like we need a word in the English language for when there's an online or viral trend that you don't understand. So you have to go and Google it. Oh. We should create one. All right. Well, what have you? Well, maybe not now. Are you bring any to the table? <laughs> That's true, though. We do need something for it because it's a very specific kind of feeling to feel out of the loop and kind of have an idea of what's going on but never fully knowing for certain. And you have to kind of very quietly and shamefully Google it. Like you Mm. kind of have to quietly catch yourself back up and then reshare it, which I'm pretty sure that's what you did because you didn't know what it was either. And then I saw you sharing everything is cake memes on our Instagram. Yeah, so I shared something on our Instagram because I just had to jump on the trend even though I didn't fully know what the fuck was going on. So we jumped on Insta and shared a screenshot of a tweet from at the Andrew Nadeau. He wrote, the year is 2030, bakery art is so real literally anything could be cake the uncertainty has gripped the world in fear I go to hug my wife for comfort she is cake (laughs) (laughs) which is so funny like that's so good and it got lots of likes so no apology I kind of grasped what was going on and just shot from the hip I looked at my phone and I saw that we had posted that Instagram (laughs) post and I thought about three hours before this that we had not one idea what this viral trend was about you big you big fat fraud. (laughs) I make no apologies. I do want to talk to you about why this has gone viral now. I've seen some theories posited online that I definitely agree with and I definitely think have some fuel behind them. Other theories I think are complete bullshit for lack of a better word. I wanted to read a passage from an article I found on Refinery29 about Um, this. Oh my God, I think we got the same one. Because this is, I mean, it's funny when people do this because I think people would also say that we read into things too much sometimes. (laughs) But I was trying to understand why this trend has taken off in the way that it has. And a Refinery29 article read, 
It's easy to dismiss the sudden popularity of these cake fake-outs, cake-outs, as pure escapism. After all, this year has already seen a massive global pandemic, an economic shutdown, soaring unemployment rates, la la la, everything we know to be true about 2020. So like, yeah, not weird at all if people want to kick back and look at some cool looking cake or whatever. But what if our newfound cake concession goes deeper than mere escapism? Obviously, tweets about cutting into your wife only to discover that she is in fact made of cake are made in jest. But the sentiment behind them, that we are living in a world where nothing is what it seems, belie a collective anxiety and a sense of being unmoored from reality. Every day we wake up uncertain of what the news will tell us about our ever-shifting reality. Like I'm sure some psychologists would agree with that. I'm not a psychologist. I just, it's too much Do I really think that? Another quote from that article is, the world is a radically different place than it was mere months ago. In a way, we have all just discovered that it's not that our wives are made of cake, but rather our lives are. Emphasis on lives. Not true. I think this would have gone viral at any given moment. It's a really interesting form of art. I think it's very classic as far as memes go. Do I think it only went viral because of coronavirus and the various political movements that have gathered momentum this year? Absolutely not. I do want to say, though, I do want to link it to something else. Go. There is a movement in reality TV shows to create foods that look like the opposite of what they are. So in June, Netflix released its latest cooking series called Crazy Delicious, and it's based off chefs bending and remodeling popular foods so that they physically look different, so that they are completely different in appearance and that the appearance throws you off. So for example, they might make a crock and bush that looks like a pile of meatballs. And I think <laughs> that kind of thing has kicked off this movement and gained momentum. I think it's also just incredibly silly. And I yeah. think the darker the times are, the sillier our taste in kind of viral memes are. Mm. So I do think there is something to be said for the the state of the world at the moment as to why something like this goes off, but not in the sense that, you know, it belies something far deeper than what we want to acknowledge. I think it's just silly. I think we want light relief and... I don't know. It's kind of funny. It's ridiculous. It's completely ridiculous. And that's why I love viral trends. Maybe for your birthday, I should get you a cake that doesn't look like a cake. What would you like? What object? I'm not really a cakey gal. If anyone can make a cake that looks like Tommy Little, hit me up. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, next bitch. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity news cycle. Michelle Elizabeth Finefooted Andrews, what have you got for me? I've got two out of five that have to do with Bachelor in Paradise, which is interesting because I don't really care about Bachelor in Paradise all that much, but I want to start with this one for you, Zara. Number one, fans call out massive double standard in Bachelor in Paradise. That is from news.com. Have you been watching the show, Zara? No, I haven't. And I would say or ask, is that bad? But I've done what I've been doing with The Bachelor for the last few seasons, which has been across all the articles and the social media commentary, Mm. but not actually watched it. And you know what else? I kind of like when we both haven't watched the same thing. So you can give context to the listeners and everyone can be on the same page, including you, Zara. Now, in the first couple of episodes, some glaring double standards emerged. The first one that really struck me was that everyone online was kind of slut shaming Abby, friend of the show, Abby Chatfield, for jumping into a bed with Kieran the first night of the show and to, I don't know, canoodling. Is that a word that we're going to use? I mean, it's a word you just used. <laughs> to canoodling with him, but not judging Kieran, who did the exact same thing. And on top of that was going around kissing and flirting with all these other girls. I found that really strange that Abby was supposedly slutty, a word that I hate, for being interested in one guy and showing him that she was interested. Whereas that guy was totally fine and A-OK to go around and flirt and lead on every girl in the villa, as well as jumping into bed on the first night. I just found that to be a really gross and obviously misogynistic double standard. The other double standard was the way that stripping was referred to when it was Kieran. Stripping apparently is hilarious and funny and cool when it's Kieran. But Cass, when she introduced Jess to another contestant, said, oh, she's just a stripper. Like really dismissed her as just being this female stripper. And I found that fascinating also. I found the commentary around Kieran very interesting in particular when now that you bring this up, because I heard he kind of, kind I don't know what the word is, it flirted, got with kind of played the field to be over the course of 24 hours and no one seemed to make comment on it. But when Abby, as you said, jumped into bed with him, she became the focal point of all the story. And she is the one that's promiscuous. Oh, it's absolute bullshit. I mean, if you want to see how sexism, racism, a whole bunch of isms play out on television, just tune into an episode of Bachelor in Paradise or The Bachelor, I think. Which brings me to my second story. This one is very interesting and I want your thoughts. 
They can cook and sing, but Australia still isn't ready for diversity on reality TV. That is from HuffPost Australia. And Zara, this is very, very similar to something that we read in Junkie a couple of years ago. It was really interesting seeing this sentiment pop back up because clearly not much has changed in three years. In 2017, Osman Faruqi wrote a really widely shared op-ed called Cook and Sing for Us But Don't Date Us, What Reality TV Tells Us About Australia and Diversity. Mm. So both of the cruxes of these stories were similar. Talk to me about the HuffPo one that you read this week. The HuffPo one was basically looking at the fact that the Bachelor in Paradise producers and casting agents, in fact, the casting agents across the whole Bachelor franchise in Australia, are willing to have a few tokenistic people of colour in the cast, but rarely ever give them airtime, make no effort to give them airtime. And I think that is something that absolutely needs to be explored now. It took so long for us to, as a community, get to the point where we were asking for more people of colour on our screens. We now need to push that further to say it's not enough to fill a spot. You actually need to tell the stories of people of colour on Australian television. Yeah, exactly. And it's pretty sad that these two op-eds are almost three years apart. Almost three, more than three years apart. Shit. Mm. And nothing seems to have changed in those three years, no matter how many conversations we try to have about this. So I think what we should do, Mish, let's put both of those articles on our Instagram stories today. We will use swipe up links so you guys can read them because it tells a pretty sad story of the state of Australian reality television that just doesn't seem to be budging no matter how many conversations people try to have. Exactly. And if you're watching Bachelor in Paradise, you should be asking yourself, why the fuck is Naranga getting zero airtime? Why have they put him on this show yet refused to play out any of his experiences on it. And I I don't really have time for the people associated with the show saying that they do have diversity just because they've ticked a box. Tell us the stories of Naranga. Everyone wants to hear it at home. Why are you not telling it to us? My third story. God, I have whiplash. Kanye West's presidential run might not be over. That is from Dazed. So last week we did a segment on the fact that Kanye West had announced he was running not for the 2024 presidential election, but the 2020 presidential election. A couple of days later, after that segment went to air, it came out that no, he wasn't actually running at all. He had actually hired a campaign advisor called Steve Kramer. And in an interview with New York Magazine this week, Kramer said that despite his best efforts to kind of place his name on the ballot in many different states, West was out. Then what happens is the rumours are that West is actually not out. He did miss the deadline for Florida, right? And if you're out of Florida, you're basically out of the race. He also missed the deadline of six other states. So technically, he can run in a few American states and technically still be in the race, even though he can't win. Why? I know. Just why? Surely he should just drop out. Like if he wants to be president, I'm not going to stand in his way. Run for really? it if he's so... Well, what am I going to say? Donald Trump became president. I'm not going to kick up a storm if about Kanye could. West. Like, if you <laughs> want to run for president, it's a free country. Just thinking laterally here, why would you try in 2020 when you clearly can't? Yes. Well, it's a it's a good sound point, Michelle, and I think many a point that many are making on the internet. Just to clarify, I don't want him to win. I would never want anyone who's anti-abortion and said that black people chose to be slaves should win the presidential election. If you had the power to stand in this way, would you? Yeah. Oh, mate. That's if, all I mean. I'm telling you now, if I was Kim Kardashian sitting around a marble island bench, I would be pulling him to the side and saying, honey, maybe not the best idea. Let's focus on an album or something else for now. My fourth story, my favourite sugary celebrity story of the week, Hayley Baldwin apologises to hostess who said she was not nice commenting, glad you called me out. That is from People Magazine. So this happened on TikTok, right? This happened on TikTok and I saw it before it made mainstream news and I sent you a screenshot (laughs) screaming. I was like, this is wild. So if you missed this, Fuck, I love TikTok so much, even if they're mining our data for the government. Yeah, I mean, it's going to kill the world. But keep telling us about these (sighs) Hayley Baldwin videos. I still really enjoy it. (laughs) So a hostess of a very upmarket New York restaurant got on camera and said, I meet celebrities all the time. I'm going to give you guys the tea. Who is the best celebrity to wait staff? Who is the worst celebrity to wait staff? Not all heroes wear capes. Exactly. And I also think the way you treat wait staff says a lot about who you are, right? Of course. So she runs through this list. Kylie Jenner apparently only tips $20 US despite paying hundreds or thousands for her very fancy meal, which is not socially smiled upon in the US. Let's put it that way. She also covers... Kendall Jenner in another video. She's covering all the major celebrities. Really. Who, who's meant to be nice? The nice ones, Josh Peck. I mean, I don't even know who that is. <laughs> I know, that's so, probably why he's nice. Of course, Josh Peck is nice. Oh, Nick Jonas. 
Nick Jonas. I can Nick so Jonas see that. Nick Jonas is really nice, apparently. So she took aim at Haley Baldwin and said Haley Baldwin has been rude, downright rude to her on the two occasions she has met her. Haley Baldwin went out of her way to comment reply on the video. Given the video got millions of views, she was obviously trying to do a bit of PR and damage control. I don't know what to make of it. Am I happy that she replied? Do I think that indicates she's a nicer person? This hostess, by the way, rated her a 3.5 out of 10. So she responded saying, I'm glad you called me out. I'm really sorry that I did that to you, right? Mm -hmm. What do I think? No, I think she's probably still kind of average. I really do. I really do fundamentally believe that it shows a lot. If it's also more than one occasion, I think I would always give someone the benefit of the doubt if I met them in one occasion, if it was very passing, because you never have any idea what's going on in someone's life, right? By the way, Beyonce got a 10 out of 10 as well. Oh, go Beyonce. Yeah, apparently Jay-Z and Beyonce, very smiley and happy. See, that's lovely. But like I said, I'd always give someone the benefit of the doubt because you never know if someone's distracted or if something's going on. If someone's outwardly rude, I don't think you need to give them the benefit of the doubt because I think that even you can have a lot of stuff going on and not be rude. I think it also says a lot more how you treat people behind closed doors than how you do treat them on a public platform where millions of people are watching. Yeah, and you have stake in this. Like Mm. you have stake in this because it's clearly gone viral. Also, it seems to me that she's met Hayley Baldwin more than once. Yeah, and once the power changed hands, this hostess was, of course, suddenly the one who held the power and that was when Paley Baldwin was willing to be nice to her. Says a lot. That's interesting. My final story from today's Quick and Dirty. This is a sobering and sad one. Glee star Naya Rivera's body recovered on seven-year anniversary of Corey Monteith's death. That is from page six. This has been a pretty horrendous story that's kind of covered the better part of a week and a half now after Naya Rivera went missing, Mish, and gosh, it's been a really hard story to follow. I know a lot of people have um, been struggling to kind of understand the gravity of what's happened to so many of the cast of Glee and how tragic the fate of a lot of those actresses and actors has been. Yeah, and I think one of the dimensions that made this possibly even more difficult for Naya Rivera's loved ones was the undertones that maybe she had suicided in the yeah. early days. When this first broke and people learned that Naya Rivera didn't come up from underwater and her son was on the boat but she wasn't I think a lot of people's minds jumped inevitably to the idea that maybe she had taken her own life and I don't think it's surprising that people leapt to that conclusion given that two of Naya Rivera's co-stars Corey Monteith and Mark Sellis died recently over the last 10 years of a drug overdose and a suicide respectively so it's not surprising that people's minds immediately went there when they heard the details of this story but it would add an extra layer of difficulty for her family when that wasn't the truth and complexity for sure when you're trying to when you still don't even know where she is like she still hasn't even been found it was really really sad the Ventura County Sheriff told the press after her body had been found that she had mustered enough energy to get her son back onto the boat but not enough energy to save herself so police told the press that she had lifted her son back and thrown him onto the boat to save his life but didn't have enough time or strength to save her own which is so devastating there have been so many beautiful tributes to Naya Rivera. One in particular I really liked was from Demi Lovato, who guest starred opposite Rivera on Glee. And she wrote on Instagram, the character you played was groundbreaking for tons of closeted queer girls like me at the time and open queer girls. And your ambition and accomplishments were inspiring to Latina women all over the world. I don't think you can underestimate or understate how much Glee did for so many young people. We grew up in the Glee era. I watched Glee with my sisters every Sunday night. We bought the first Glee compilation music CD and we used to play that on soundtracks. I remember one Christmas driving to my auntie's house in Blair Gowry and playing that CD the whole way and singing all the Glee songs. Glee brought myself and my family and my siblings so much joy when it was on and Nea Rivera was a key part of that and I just think it's so desperately sad that this show that was built on a foundation of happiness and silliness and nerdiness and joyfulness has now been shrouded in so much darkness and misery and tragedy. So, yeah... Heart goes out to anyone who even watched Glee and found solace in Naya Rivera's character. Coming up after the break, what the Free Britney movement says about people power, celebrity and the rigidity of the law's approach to mental illness. But first a word from today's sponsor. 
The hashtag Free Britney has been floating around the internet for the better part of three years. But this week went into overdrive when the 38-year-old pop star's former photographer, Andrew Gallery, lifted the lid on TikTok. In a video to his followers, Gallery said he had seen the Free Britney movement take off and felt compelled to speak on it, prompting him to read out a letter Britney had allegedly written him in 2008 when her conservatorship first took effect. In that letter, Britney claims she was lied to and set up, that she has no rights and that her conservatorship would continue as long as people are getting paid. Zara, TikTok has played a huge role in bringing this conversation to the forefront of public consciousness, hasn't it? Yeah, but the combination of, of Instagram and TikTok, I think, for those who have followed Britney Spears on Instagram for a little while, you'll know she posts a lot of dancing videos from her home and a mm. lot of people are kind of using those videos on TikTok and trying to tell a story and trying to kind of uncover if Britney is okay under this conservatorship. So I think what we're going to have to do, Mitch, because there's so much going on in this story, is probably start from the start. As you said, her former photographer, Andrew Gallery, read out this letter reportedly written by Britney Spears on TikTok from 2008 when the conservatorship started. Yeah, so let's take our minds back to 2007 and 2008. So the images from those times in Britney Spears' life are probably embedded in many of our brains right now. Britney Spears was, of course, photographed driving with a baby in her lap. She was photographed shaving her head in a hairdressing salon. She was filmed speaking in a British accent when, of course, she is from America. She was also filmed being wheeled out of her Beverly Hills mansion on a stretcher. That year, she was hospitalised, of course, against her will in a psychiatric facility. Yeah, so what happened in 2008 is she was placed under a conservatorship. And I think that most people, I don't know if I'm speaking too widely right now, but I didn't really know what a conservatorship was before I heard of what had happened to Britney Spears. Mm. Basically what it means is it coincided with her losing custody of her sons and it gave her father and her current manager Jodie Montgomery like full rights to her finances. It gave them complete legal and financial control of everything she did. I think allegedly according to Diet Prada and they reported it this week that Britney Spears can't drive. There are also allegations that she has to take a certain type of medication under their mm. watch. Like I said, there's a whole bunch of allegations here, nothing quite proven, but the crux of it is that Britney Spears's dad and her manager have complete control over her entire life. And get paid for that control, which yes. I think is a crucial detail as well. According to reports, the people who are in charge of Britney Spears's life draw out $1.1 million in fees for their services every single year. So there's financial gain here. If you're one of Britney's conservators, you are pocketing money from it, big money every single year. Yeah, this is not small dollars. And I think the other thing that we should mention here as well is that Britney Spears has reportedly not always had a very good relationship with her father. Mm. He is a former alcoholic. He allegedly did not treat her sons and her mother particularly well. It was a very troubled relationship in that family. So so it's quite worrying, not just the fact that she's in this conservatorship, but who's at the helm of it. I will read out the full list of rights that Britney Spears has supposedly had stripped from her under this arrangement. Britney Spears currently cannot drive a car. She cannot get married. She cannot have children, spend her own money, speak publicly about the conservatorship without permission and without editing approval from the people who run her conservatorship. She cannot have visitors on her own accord. Anyone who visits Britney Spears who is deemed a threat to her stability by her guardians can receive restraining orders to limit their ability to contact her. That's one of the most concerning ones for me, that she can have access to people she trusts restricted with the click of a finger. Well, you're really cutting her off from the entire world from there. And I think the thing about conservatorships is they are typically reserved for individuals who are in a coma or with a really severe mental illness. And what was very interesting about what Diet Prada posted this week, and if you go on Diet Prada's Instagram, you'll see that they posted a carousel of basically a synopsis of the Free Britney movement. And they noted that through her 12-year conservatorship, so as we said, this has been going on for 12 years since 2008, Britney Spears has released four albums, done a four-year, $140 million Las Vegas performance residency, launched fashion and fragrance products, and judged the X Factor. Mm. So this is really interesting to me, I think, because what people are pointing to is like you have the complete ability and faith in her to work and to keep earning money in order to keep paying you why can't she make decisions about her own legal issues and finances and children Anything and friends with her and, life. and dating apparently that's the weird thing to me that they're more than happy to send her out and go make hundreds of millions of dollars but she can't get in a car and drive to starbucks or drive to in and out 
It just boggles the mind. On top of all this, 2008 was the year that the conservatorship came in, right? Briefly before the conservatorship came into effect, Britney did one of her last official interviews with Rolling Stone. This was a 2008 cover story. This was a fascinating feature story. We'll pop this one on the show notes. The writer of that feature story, Jenny Aliscu, commented that Spears seemed highly functional in comparison to the claims from her conservators' lawyers that she was gravely disabled. So rumours and whispers that Britney Spears is far more functional and far more okay than what her conservators are implying have been bubbling away since this came into effect. And this 2008 profile from Rolling Stone is a really interesting one for mine because what it seemed to me is that the journalist was trying to tell the audience a story and that was that basically Britney Spears seemed relatively okay, okay enough to be in charge of her own life. But it also made me wonder how much the journalist couldn't say, Mm -hmm. like how much red tape was around the legalities and I guess the, the fear of defamation when you're talking about a story as kind of litigious and complex as this one. And I think that's exactly the point. This story is very complex and I feel like I have personally ignored it or kind of not delved into it very deeply because I thought it was a bit too conspiracy theory. Yeah, I have discounted this story for years on doing this podcast. There have been so many times where we've seen this bubbling away under the surface and kind of gone, oh, it's not legitimate enough yet. This is a whole bunch of whispers online. We don't have any concrete evidence. Which is silly because I think there's been so many really high profile publications who have reported on this stuff. And I think that's what I had missed as a journalist is thinking that a story like this one, like we said, is too bizarre and kind of too unbelievable to be real and I think having done so much research in the last week and so much reading the scariest part about this is how real it feels. Yeah so credit to websites like breatheheavy.com and also to the podcast called Britney's Gram. Those are quite niche websites very focused on Britney but they've been so consistent and so persistent in this pursuit of free Britney that they managed to pierce through the mainstream media. So now we have the New York Times writing about it, the Los Angeles Times, all of the major publications in the US have responded to the people power behind this movement. Yeah, it was the stands that have cut through it. And I guess what I've been doing in the last couple of days is been thinking about what this means for our conversations around mental illness. Mm. Because for someone to be under a conservatorship for 12 years when the people around her are trying to hint that she's okay feels to me like we're promulgating this narrative that Mental illness is something you can never recover from. I feel like if you never give someone space to heal, then how will they ever heal? I think the mental illness argument here is a really interesting one because being under a conservatorship in 2008, I do understand. Brittany was very erratic. She was very mentally unwell. She was making decisions that were endangering her children. So I understand it from that perspective. And I think we need to be cautious with how we explain these things on air because For a time, this might have made sense if she was getting behind the wheel of a car with a baby in her lap. However, to imply that because someone had a mental breakdown in 2008 that they will never be able to make decisions for themselves again is so dangerous. Mental illness, as someone who struggles with it, is not fixed. Just because you have a breakdown... 12 years ago does not mean you will never get better. And I hate the idea that because she was unwell at a certain point in her life, she will now be stripped of everything that makes someone a human. It's upsetting because what do you think actually makes someone a human? Being able to live their life the way they want it, as long as they're not endangering other people. The fact that Britney Spears can't even get behind the seat of a car, and when she did last year, she was put into a mental health facility again, is so egregious and troubling. I can't believe this story kind of bubbled under the surface for so long before I gave it the mental energy to take it seriously. Yeah, and maybe the, our subconscious kind of knew that it was going to be a very, very complex one and I feel like it's been a bit of a head fuck for the last week trying to get my head around it all because there's been so many layers to it. I agree with you. I think the most damaging thing is the assumption or the inference that nobody can ever recover from mental illness and we know for a fact that people can. Well, surely you have to be so incredibly incapacitated, so incredibly marred with mental illness to be under this. And to be under it for 12 years would imply that she isn't able to leave the house. When we know that she is, we know that she's a well-functioning woman who can get up on the X Factor and host a television show. The X Factor is the biggest one for me because it's like you trust somebody to go on set and to perform for cameras and to kind of do that job and perform that job to the level that we expect of people on TV. Then we trust someone to go for a drive and to, to meet a friend 
friend. The other really interesting and kind of disturbing thing for me, Mish, was in 2012, she was engaged to a guy by the name of Jason Trorick, mm. who was her former agent. He was added to her conservatorship. So he, in 2012, when they were still together, was added as one of her guardians. A fact like this one kind of concerns me because if she now has, or perhaps forever, has very little power over who she dates, what kinds of people are coming in and kind of joining the conservatorship and therefore taking money from her? Like yeah. it's very dare I say, Truman Show-like or Black Mirror-like. Actually, this is a really interesting thing. I was going deep on Reddit as well and someone made a really stark comparison to me of this story and that episode of Black Mirror with Miley, Miley Cyrus. Cyrus. Have you seen that episode? I have. And also I think Miley Cyrus has tried to be open about this yes. method in the past. So I wonder if that episode was informed by this real-life story. Well, Miley Cyrus has yelled on stage in front of people, Free Britney. And that Black Mirror episode, for those who haven't seen it, is all about a star that's kind of literally shackled to her own home. Yeah, by drugs and by her parents. I'm interested that Britney Spears has an Instagram account with 20 million people, right? Mm. And another reason that this has kind of hit fever pitch is because people have been commenting to Britney saying, hey, if you're in trouble, wear yellow in your video tomorrow. Mm. And then on that video when she wore yellow, they said, all right, if you're in trouble, wear blue tomorrow and she wore blue. And I think it happened again and she wore black. And I'm a lot confused about this because she doesn't have full control of her phone. Like allegedly and reportedly, she has someone next to her when she's using her phone. Like she doesn't have access to those 20 million people by herself. So I don't really understand the inference that she's sending messages when we have no idea who's controlling her phone. I agree. I don't think her Instagram posts are coded. I don't think they hold some great conspiracy or that we can unlock them in a way that leads us on a path to freeing her. What I think that is, is just confirmation bias. There are so many comments on those videos that says, wear purple, wear yeah. pink, hold flowers, dance, do like have blonde hair if you need help. I don't think those mean anything. I do think the legitimate work done by journalists, but also her fans is what is pointing us in the right direction. I think looking at how Britney Spears's very strong core fan base has made this be taken seriously by officials and by journalists. It actually reminds me a lot of the Don't Fuck With Cats yes. Netflix documentary. Yeah. I think that became popular either over the summer or late last year, maybe. My, my concept of time is so warped. warped. <laughs> I saw a meme the other day. It was like, remember the Tiger King era of quarantine? And I was like, that was in 2020? Like, I don't I'm remember Googling. that. I'm Googling. Don't Fuck With Cats. I feel like that was at the start of this year. Came out. February. 2019. Oh, shit. December 2019. It. it was late, late last year. So I think this documentary said a lot to People Power. If you haven't watched it, basically a whole bunch of people on Facebook who were cat fanatics, absolutely adore cats, adore animals, noticed that this man was harming cats online. They tried to make police care about it. Police didn't really have the time or the resources to care about it. And so they didn't take no for an answer. They formed a Facebook group. They all worked together to be amateur detectives and figure out who this guy was. This guy ended up killing people. So this ended up being a murderer. And that murder mystery was only solved because of the people who was so dedicated in that Facebook group. Sometimes I think we put too much faith into old institutions and rigid, publicly acceptable institutions like journalists and we think they're going to figure it out. However, if you have enough passion and enough drive and you're interested enough, maybe you can unlock what's going on with Britney Spears. There is a couple of things here for me and I'm probably going to argue two separate things at the same time. So bear with me. The first is that I do agree with you. I think that people power and social media can be used for a really good thing. I also think that it can be incredibly damaging. I think that if you get a whole group of people that are going down rabbit holes of things, that's how you give birth to conspiracy theories that are really damaging. The second thing is that when you say we put a lot of faith in journalism, but maybe they can't do the job that the average person can do. I, I do kind of agree with that too. I mean, the LA Times did a three-month investigation into the Free Britney movement and her conservatorship and couldn't really find anything that proved that she was in immediate danger. And it did make me wonder how much power or kind of freedom the LA Times had to publish what their assumptions were mm. or their gut feelings were. Mm. I think when you're a newspaper, writing stuff like that is incredibly litigious and there are incredible limitations to making huge claims about the fact that Britney Spears might be in danger. So I'm very wary of that too. And if they're not allowed to speak to Britney herself and if everyone in Britney's circle is kind of 
picked off and cut out because they're seen as a threat to her. How are we supposed to know? I just I, This is such an odd story, but it's, I do want to give a shout out to the Jordan Millers and the Tess Barkers and the Barbara Grays of the world because they are the people who have been screaming about Free Britney for years. They are the people on the ground who have brought this to public attention. And I think it's important because my gut feeling is that a woman who used to be incredibly powerful and incredibly important in shaping public discourse has now basically had her life stripped away from her. This is worse than prison. Yes, and she basically said that just to come full circle in the letter that she allegedly sent to her former photographer back in 2008. It's very terrifying to see a story like this, to read a story like this and to feel completely confused by it. Like I feel like I have been going around in circles for over a week. I feel like my mind has been a mess and I don't know how to make sense of anything. But the more I thought about it, the more I think that's exactly the point. Like no one knows for sure what's going on here. I don't think anyone can have a firm opinion. I'm kind of, I think that firm opinions in this case are kind of dangerous because nobody knows what's going on. But I do think it's smart for us to keep digging and to keep talking and to keep watching and to not put our blinkers on because I think this story is one of the most bizarre celebrity stories I've heard in a really long time. Yeah, a nice little positive note to end on though. Things are being done and change is possible in this particular story's case. So in the US, there is a White House government website. There is a petition section on that website. It is law that once a petition on the White House website gets 100,000 signatures, there has to be an official response from the White House. The Free Britney petition received over 100,000 signatures, so there will be a response from the government. And there's also been 185,000 people who have signed a change.org petition, which is going to have kind of less of a tangible impact. But I think these kinds of petitions in particular do huge things for public discourse and conversations and public pressure. Mm. And though that doesn't change the law in its entirety, I think it does force the people in power to actually address what's going on. And there is another hearing in August 22. That's right, Mish? That is exactly right. So this time next month, we'll probably be back here talking about the results from that hearing. That is all we've got time for though for now. It is. If you want to stay in contact with us, come and join our book club Facebook group. We are Shameless Podcast Book Club on Facebook. There are 25,000 listeners in there sharing their very best read recommendations. And it is a great, wholesome, beautiful place to be right now. It is an awesome place to be. I am about three quarters of the way through our July book club pick Red, White and Royal Blue. Michelle is looking at me because she's read the first 50 pages and she is not sure about it. But as always, we will be doing a book club episode and not this Saturday, but next Saturday. So get reading, enjoy the book and we will be talking to you about it in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, come into the book club and we'll chat about it. Exactly. If you enjoyed this episode of Shameless, please leave us a kind review or tell a friend about it. That is the way that we grow and we are so, so appreciative of your support. Thank you so much, guys. Have a good week. Bye. Whoa. (laughs) That was hectic. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.